Hello and welcome to the Tool Assisted Podcast. This is your host, The 8-Bit Beast, and today is the 8th of May, 2019. And today we're talking about Pokemon Tazzers with T.I. Kevin 83. Hello. How are you today, T.I. Kevin? I'm doing great. How are you, The 8-Bit Beast? Oh, I'm doing very great. So tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get into gaming, speedrunning, and tassing eventually? Oh boy, gaming. That's going to go way back. So... A lot of my gaming started on, I want to say, the like NES to N64 era when I was really young. Actually, I think I played, I was young enough to have played the Atari just a little bit before that generation died. But I, I really started getting into it in exactly the games that I'm still tassing, which, I mean, kind of makes sense, nostalgia, people like going back to their roots. So I started on like Pokemon Yellow. And then I played a lot of Ruby. I played a ton of Ruby growing up. And I also played a lot of Smash games. I was big, I'm was i also big into RuneScape. I was big into MMOs for a while. And I played some stuff on, on the calculator, which is how I got... Part of how I got my name, TyKevin83. The Ty in 83 come from the Ty83 calculator. And then the Kevin is from... Uh, when I played Emerald, sometimes my name would always be Kevin on the cartridge because I was borrowing it from somebody whose cousin was named Kevin. Oh, nice. I was wondering if the TI was from the calculator, actually. Did you ever play Pokemon on your calculator? No, but it's it's like vaguely possible because the instruction set is so similar between the uh, the calculator... Like, the processor it uses is extremely similar to the processor the Game Boy uses. So it's really easy to port the games between the TIE 83 and the Game Boy. Mm. Yeah, I've seen a few calculators that have done it. Maybe not on a TIE 83, but mm-hmm. you never know. <laughs> yeah. And I think people are testing those now, those calculators, somehow. Yeah, there was some stuff I was talking about with Duango. Because the emulator we used for tasking called BizHawk has support for tasking the TI-83. So we've been messing around with that. And hopefully we have some improvements soon. Mm. So you're going to be making TI-83 tasks? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll quickly get into this so I can put it behind. But it's possible to task not just playing games, but the coding of them. So we, we task actually the fastest way to go through the menus to input code into the basic engine and then task playing the game that we write with basic. Mm. Yeah, I think I have seen that actually. That's really impressive to watch. It's like three levels of uh, optimization because you have to optimize the menuing to input the code against the speed of the code. You want to make the code itself run fast. And then you want to optimize those things against the actual gameplay and, and playing the game that you've created quickly. Yeah, it's very meta. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that's a bit about how you got into gaming. What about speedrunning? How did you find out about that? So speedrunning. So for a while, actually, I was playing League of Legends, trying to build something that I could stream. I wasn't even streaming it for a while, but I was trying to build like getting good enough at a game that I could stream it. And LoL was not going well. League of Legends is a terrible game. Just going to throw that out there. Really not a fan anymore. But uh, in doing that, I found other people on Twitch in the Pokemon speedrunning community. And I 
started learning how to do the Pokemon Yellow speed run, the glitchless run. And I did that for like two years, nothing but doing that really, just only streaming Pokemon Yellow RTA speedrunning. So after like two years of doing that and helping reroute the uh, game for the uh, save and quit changes, because we went from not being able to save and quit in RTA to being allowed to do that, and so we could manipulate some RNG and the route changed significantly. And after I got through routing that, I found a glitch that had never been discovered before in yellow with the options. So if you, in yellow and later, uh, so like yellow, golden, crystal, the options menu, if you press left or right when you enter it, all of the options get shifted left or right. Not just one of them, but all of them. Oh. Hmm. I didn't know about that. That's so weird. Yeah. I found that last year, uh, around like January 2018, and that kicked off me wanting to do tassing because that glitch wasn't in any tass of uh, yellow or like any of the Gen 1 stuff or two. So I wrote a yellow glitchless tass that incorporated that strategy. Would it save much time? It saves actually like 30 frames. I mean, it's not... You think in an hour, 36 minute long task, 30 frames is trivial. It's like a 10,000th of the entire run. But mm-hmm. when you're tasking, every single frame is important. Yeah, and I suppose you just need that push to see there is time to save in the TAS. And then when you get stuck into it, you find out there might be a little bit more too. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you had already done the whole thing, you might not go back and fix that at the beginning because... With Pokemon, if you change something at the beginning, you have to rewrite the entire task because the RNG changes. But I hadn't done it at all before, so I had nothing to lose. I, I could just jump into it and use that from the beginning. Hmm. And so, well, how did you find out about Tazzing overall? Do you remember what the first one that you saw was? I It was definitely watching TazSpot stuff. I don't remember... Oh, specifically which one, like which block it was. It might have been like 2017 or 2018, but I definitely heard about it first watching Task Block. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of people say SM640 stuff. Oh, yeah. See, like, interesting thing about me, I basically know, no, I, like, of people who know about Tassing, I might be the worst person to go to for SM64 stuff. I, I actually, like, almost skipped a lot of the N64 generation. So, with Pokemon, are you still doing much RTA, or are you focusing mainly on Tassing now? Obviously, like, I've lost a lot of the RTA stuff, having focused on Tassing a lot, but I I did pick it up again recently to be able to play Yellow. And actually, um, sometime last year, I want to say, like, last October, uh, there was a 20th anniversary race of Pokemon Red, and I learned Red to be able to do that race, and I ended up getting, like, second out of 15 people in one of the races oh nice congrats thanks yeah i'm still uh, keeping sharp there do you find that the tassing knowledge helps with rta oh yeah it's it's crazy like if you analyze every frame of a game it makes way more sense what you're supposed to do when you're playing in rta mm, definitely and so you've just finished it as a pokemon pokemon blue glitchless and i believe at the time of recording it's still being submitted on tas videos Hasn't been accepted yet. Yeah, it's in the judging process right now, so we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. 
so all our listeners can remember to go and vote and comment on that one. That'd be great. It's gotten kind of less uh, commentary than I usually get out of the tasses. I noticed that. I think it's just possibly the time of year or something. I don't know. But even the yellow one, which was similar, had a lot more. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like, it might be like burnout. Like it's very, even though there's a ton of minor differences from yellow, the overall structure is very similar. So if you've seen an hour and 30 minutes of yellow, you might not want to watch another hour and 30 minutes of blue. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point though. I guess like, yeah, as soon as I saw it on there, I clicked on it and watched the whole thing. (laughs) That's only because I've wanted like, I've wanted this task for a really long time. It's surprising to me that it hasn't really been done before. It has been done before. It's not completely neglected. It's just a matter of like the specific category. Um, it was done on the Japanese cartridge before. Nobody done it on English, and nobody done it on a recent rule set. So I think the Japanese one was like from 2006. And so while it's like extremely well optimized, considering it was from 2006, it uses the Japanese rule set and has like some really like glaring mistakes. Um, for instance, it doesn't know about walking behind Oak at the beginning of the game. Like... When people watch Gunner, who's like a big RTA Pokemon streamer, one of the first things everybody asks when they watch him play red, blue, or yellow is, why did you go behind Oak? It's it's just like the first thing that people think of when they watch Pokemon now. But in 2006, nobody had thought of that yet. Yeah, I remember watching that original Japanese one as well, and it kind of taints the rest of the run if you're not walking behind Oak, because you think, oh dear, this is an old one. Yeah. But... I'm sure there are still some good bits to it. Yeah, the the rest of it is like exactly what you would expect out of a modern run. Now, the thing is, I don't know if it's an actual like tool assisted run or if he was modifying each outcome. Because if, if you are back then, the emulators like in 2006 were really, really sketchy. So I don't know if you could have even done that without going in and modifying each outcome to be what you needed it to be in the in the RAM. Fair enough. So they could have made it a bit shorter than actual RNG manipulation could have taken as well. Yeah. So it's it's impossible to verify that without having the input script and the emulator to go along with it. So since we're talking about glitchless, we should probably give a brief description of the category. Even though it seems fairly intuitive, there are still some controversial topics. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very. Yeah. Uh, well, not so much controversial now, but like if you hadn't seen them before, you pro- you might think they're controversial. So the the overall concept of the glitchless category is if it's a glitch that you like would expect to be able to cause memory corruption, then it's banned. So a great example is the Brock through walls glitch or the Brock skip glitch, which is a similar one. Those glitches involve standing in the wrong spot when there's like a guy who's supposed to take you to Brock's gym if you're trying to leave Pewter before you've beaten Brock. And if, if you stand in the in a spot that the game isn't expecting, then it corrupts their memory and lets you walk out of bounds and do all sorts of other things. So that's not allowed in this category. But on the flip side, things like instant text. The instant text glitch, you go talk to the guy in the bike shop in Cerulean. And it sets the text speed variable to zero. So that means there will be zero frames of delay between each character being printed. Whereas usually it's one frame per character of text. 
And then usually that's done to like print a menu instantly and then it sets it back to one afterward. But the game doesn't set it back to one afterward in this menu. So until you see another menu that has that normal code and sets it back to one, you're, you have instant text. But this doesn't corrupt anything. Like it, it, there's, there's absolutely nothing else affected by this and it's completely the intentional use of that variable. It's just the programmers forgot to put it back. Yeah, I mean, clearly instant text wasn't intended, but I don't know. If it was on an NPC that you actually had to talk to, then there'd be probably no debating it at all. Yeah, so intention's a great thing to bring up because there are a lot of other things that, if you were to go by intent, it might look weird. So, for instance, the Gen 1 misses. Um, Gen 1 misses a, a clear bug in the coding of the Pokemon games. Um, moves that have been coded to have 100% accuracy do not actually have 100% accuracy. They have 1 in 256 chance to miss. Um, but we allow that bug to be abused because you, could, you couldn't avoid it happening to you in normal play of a Pokemon in RTA. Like, you could just be walking along, playing, use your 100% move, and boom, it misses. There's nothing to do about it. It's always really impressive that they made Swift always land then to me. I thought it would have had the same bug. The, the, it's interesting. So Swift and uh, also I believe X accuracy uses the same code. It bypasses the accuracy check. So it doesn't set the accuracy of the move to 100. It bypasses the accuracy check completely. It seems like a really weird way to program it. But I guess that's the theme with this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so quickly, uh, Pokedoll, same thing. Uh, it's It doesn't break anything else in the game to skip the Marowak. There's no corruption of any of the cutscenes, so we allow that. And yeah, can't do Underflow, can't do Trainer Fly. So it's uh, you fight almost everything that you would expect to fight except the stuff in the underground. And that's the main difference between the, this task and the Japanese task, because the Japanese runners always uh, banned the Pokedoll skip. Mm, I noticed that was really weird with the Japanese tasks, and they still ban it these days as well in Japanese? Yeah, in the Japanese cartridge and rule set, though, they now have a rule set that matches ours in the uh, international community. Okay, so Japanese card, but international rules. Yeah, there is a a board for that now oh that's good uh, do you know how much time japanese texts would actually save if i understand correctly the differences between mine run and the other one um let's see it's a pretty good chunk of time because i'm skipping like four minutes of the underground and i'm also saving an additional like i want to say minute or minute and a half from instant text. So like five and a half minutes. And I think it's like a 131, is it? The uh, existing Japanese task. So I want to say it's like three or four minutes of time saved. And would you ever consider doing a task on the Japanese version? If I got like bored and had nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. I guess like... I don't know, English is always a standard. 
if it were me, I would be tempted to do it on Japanese, but I understand why people want to do it in English as well. Yeah, if I if I was really bored, what I would probably do is I would toss the uh, Japanese yellow because it is it doesn't have colors yet. Like the yellow international release has colors hacked into the engine and you get color lag everywhere, but yellow J- Japan does not have colors. So it's a true Game Boy game still. So if you do Japanese text and no colors, you would save like four or five minutes. Wow. That seems so weird. Because Pokemon never really felt that laggy to me playing it casually. Unless you were doing glitches and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I guess when you're tazzing it, that's a different story. Good. So you also use Red Bar a lot in the Taz, and that has been controversial in the past. Yes. I can explain some of that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, the, the TAS videos community, especially back in the day, used to dislike the use of Red Bar. And this is because on TAS videos, especially, entertainment value has a lot more prominence than it does on speedrun.com. So, like, on speedrun.com's Pokemon categories, we don't factor in entertainment value at all. There are a lot of categories that are very, very boring and exist. But, like, um, for instance, a task of Pokemon Ultra Sun at, what, six hours or five hours it might be, it would would probably never be on task videos because it's just all cutscenes. Yeah. Uh, I'm joking, of course. It, it might be. Might be in Vault. Yeah, it might be in Vault, right. There's a, vault, there's a place like this for Vault. So, um... Red bar is to some people annoying because it's this jingle that, that you can't get rid of. Uh, it's just constantly blaring unless you have full health. And it has a side effect of also being way faster because the Game Boy basically is very, very bad with sound. It only has a limited amount of resources to dedicate towards sound. So if the red bar jingle is playing, it can't play any other jingles. It just doesn't have the CPU resources. So Red Bar overwrites everything else, and those jingles that would usually delay events in the game no longer delay anything. Yeah. It always makes me so happy to hear the Red Bar jingle, because I know you're saving time. Exactly. See, on the flip side, (laughs) people who play an RTA are, like, really, really excited when Red Bar's happening. Yeah, and I, I think it was good to see the judge on the Yellow Taz talking about Red Bar, and they were saying how it opened up so much more routing, so they were happy to accept it. I think that's a good attitude to have, because it is scary being that low on health as well, and annoying if you level up and then get out of Red Bar as well. Yeah, and I was estimating, I think, like two and a half to three minutes in Yellow. Like, only Yellow's Red Bar is less time saved than Blue's, because they work differently. The Blue... It also um, stops intro cries, so like if Nidoking gets sent out in battle, his cry doesn't affect anything, whereas usually the game lags while the cry happens. And then the opposing Pokemon also, after the first one, because the Red Bar jingle isn't playing yet when the first one comes in, but the, the next one's all, those jingles get skipped. Hmm, okay. I didn't realize there were differences. Yeah, they're, they're, they're different between red, uh, blue and yellow. In yellow, it's only when a Pokemon dies those jingles or if a level up happens which is the same between red blue and yellow so if somebody levels up there's like a two and a half second jingle which gets skipped 
Or if they learn a move, it's the same jingle, two and a half seconds. And did you do any fancy routing with red bar stuff, or was it what was expected in the latest has? Uh, the the new blue glitchless thing with red bar, the, the craziest thing probably is uh, what to do with the heal pad. So there's this heal pad in Lavender Tower where you're, you're forced to heal, or you actually, you can technically fight another trainer, but you don't want, like, fighting an optional in a task is basically just a non-starter. That's not going to happen. So it's uh, significantly faster to use the heal pad than to fight the trainer. And not only that, you would think that you might want to fight the trainer anyway in tasks because you want to keep the red bar. But it's actually faster to take the heal pad and then regain red bar on the next ghastly by thrashing it and then getting hit by nightshade four times. So you thrash, it misses because normal isn't effective against ghost. And then that just happens four times back and forth until you get hit for the level of ghastly times four damage. So... Uh, 96 damage and you get red bar again it's amazing to me that that's faster i mean i thought you would either fight the optional or gradually lose it down to red bar but i guess it makes sense if it saves so much time yeah yeah like to think about it uh, gradually you would be losing like chip time like if you took a single nightshade against each ghastly you're gonna be not getting the intro cry in that battle, and the death cry for that ghastly, and then the intro cry, and then the death cry. And the, the chip time adds up very quickly in blue. But on the on the flip side, if you use thrash straight away into the first ghastly, then you're not selecting each of those four thrashes. There's no move selection there. Yeah, I guess if you're basically killing everything in one hit, then doing it gradually versus not gradually doesn't make a difference, really. Mm-hmm. And you took the heal pad mainly for PP reasons, is that right? And to not fire the optional. Uh, yeah, you, you you do get some benefits out of that because, for instance, we had that crazy fight in the in the rock tunnel. It, if you haven't seen it yet, stop the pause the podcast, go get <laughs> on the video and watch rock tunnel because the hiker fight is one of the most beautiful things in Pokemon speedrunning. But um. We get the hiker to self-destruct us, but then have the self-destruct Gen 1 miss us. So they die <laughs> from using self-destruct, and we live. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, no health. And we need to do this because we're out of bubble beams. So there is actually a big advantage in taking the heal pad that your bubble beam PP gets refilled. Mm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, cool, so... Yeah, that's some interesting routing around red bar. And from what I understand, there's routing around Instatext as well, because you might lose it if you open... Is it the item menu? Yep. Basically any menuing. So a, a great example of this is the way we sculpt where we do things. So we go immediately to the Misty Gym when we get into Cerulean. And this lets us do a few things. It lets us get Bubble Beam immediately. And it lets us teach Bubble Beam before going on to Nugget Bridge. And it sculpts our levels so that we won't learn Thrash until just before the end where we get to Bill's house. So we don't want to learn Thrash earlier. Like if we, if we learned Thrash, for instance, like rushed getting the, the moon candy and the candy in Cerulean and used two candies and get Thrash quickly. Okay, in RTA, you'd think that would be really fast. 
In Tass, it's terrible because one, you have to get those candies, but then two, if you learn Thrash while you have instant text, there's a yes no box, and that yes no box has one of those menus for it. It it, it displays the yes no box instantly. It sets the variable to zero, and then it sets it back to one. So if your variable is already at zero, and you want it to stay at zero, well, now you've got instant text lost. So you need Thrash to be learned as far towards Bill's house as possible. So as many of the trainers on Nugget Bridge and Route 25 are in Red Bar and Instant Text. So we do the Misty Gym, then we get Instant Text after teaching Bubble Beam, and then do all of the Bridge and almost all of Route 25 and Red Bar and Instant Text, and then lose it after... Uh, because we have to lose it for learning Thrash, and then we have to lose it anyway just after that, because we need to escape rope, which is the item bag like you were talking about, back to the bike shop to get instant text again before going to surge. Nice. Uh, I forgot you can escape rope out of Bill's house as well. Isn't that another controversial glitch thing? Uh, that I don't think that's controversial, but <laughs> you okay, like if you were going by developer intent, it's probably reasonable to say that's a glitch because it's fixed in yellow. But like a, a great quote I remember telling Thunderax when I was explaining some of our logic with the with avoiding using developer intent. Okay, if you use developer intent, now we gotta think about, well, the badges are displayed in a specific order in the trainer card. So really we should probably fight them in that order. And then um, another great one is, so in uh, Pokemon Legends anime, Ash is clearly seen catching Mewtwo, so the developer clearly intends you to be catching Mewtwo. So really, the speed run should end not after the Elite Four, but after you go catch Mewtwo. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so that that's that's kind of the problem you get into if you if you stick to developer intent too much. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard some yeah good glitchless glitch arguments like. There was one in Paper Mario or something where if you walk straight and then on an angle, it does some minor, minor glitch or something. Yeah, there's all sorts of things like that. Uh, anyway, we, we should probably move on. So you made the Pokemon Blue Taz recently, but why did you do it now? Was there anything big found that caused you to do it or did you just feel like it? I had been sitting on it a bit because we didn't have good botting. What we had going on is... We were able to bot things for RTA. So in RTA speedrunning, the player needs to be always continuously holding a button so that they have very big windows in which they can do things and not mess up the RNG. So for instance, walking in RTA is a 17 frame window and it's a 60 FPS game. So a little bit more than a quarter of a second, you have each window to change directions you're walking. And the same uh, window size for pressing A, because pressing A will check for an item or an NPC in front of you, because items are coded as NPCs in Pokemon. So a check, pressing A checks for an item or an NPC in front of you. Um, yes, uh, items actually have NPC timers. So if you're trying to manipulate RNG, you can spawn an item on screen at a specific time and then change the RNG completely. It's amazing. Okay, interesting. But the, the point is, we had built all of our botting tools around this, that 
we would want to do all of our inputs in these big human windows. And I had to do some rewriting of the code for our botting tools in, in uh, Stringflow and Pseudotrainer. Some other people in the PSR community helped rewrite the bot so that we could use it with tasking and not just human speedrunning. And that led to finding a working Nidoran for Pokemon Blue tasks because the, the requirements for tasks are just as stringent as the requirements for uh, RTA. But we wanted to lose as little time as possible. So there's a little bit more delay still that I would want for the Nidoran we found for Blue. But for instance, a great example of how amazing you can get with delays and tasks is that there is only eight frames of delay to find the Pikachu in the forest. And that is an L5 Pikachu. So it's a 1% encounter. But then also it adds like stat requirements. So it needs to have specific uh, very low HP and defense. So you can imagine trying to find that by hand would be the biggest pain in the butt. And I, I did something similar for yellow, finding yellow's Nidoran, and it wasn't pretty. It took me like days to find each Nidoran. And by days, I, I don't mean like, it, it took me like a day working on it a few hours a day. I mean like, I spent like 24 hours just like zoned in, changing inputs until I found a specific number out of like, a, I think it's like 65,000. Because it's, it's a 2 to the X number, right? It's a 65-536 chance to find a specific Nidoran. Is that like if you encounter something in the grass, it could be one of 65-536 possibilities and that's it? Uh, yeah, but it's actually even more uh, than that because of the slots. So there in, in Pokemon, there are 10 slots in Gen 1 for each um, map. And the slots are mapped to different types of Pokemon. So level 3 Nidoran has a slot on Route 22. Level 4 Nidoran, male. And the, the female ones have slots. Uh, Spiro has a slot. Rattatas have slots. Mankeys have slots. Um, yeah. So you'll get RNG for the slot, and then you'll get like a 65-536 for the DVs or something? Yes. It's like the IVs of Gen 1. If, if people know Pokemon... In the later gens, they, you have IVs, which are 0 to 31. In Gen 1, you have z 0 to 15 DVs. And it's basically just like a 30 IV in Gen 3 is the equivalent of a 15 DV in Gen 1. Hmm. And can you get like any possible combination of DVs or is it only specific ones? In maps, you cannot generate every DV combination, because uh, I'll see if I can explain this in layman's terms. You get one dice roll for if you're going to get an encounter, but then the state of the dice when they are rolled then affects the next dice roll for what type of encounter you get, and then subsequently that state of that dice roll affects the uh, DVs. So because there's a very big restriction on the possible roles that will allow for an encounter to happen, there's a restriction on the possible states of the dice when you roll for the DVs. Okay. So the restriction comes from what type of Pokemon you're encountering and also if you get an encounter on that tile. 
Exactly. Okay. So even if you factored in all the Pokemon on the route, across all those Pokemon, you still couldn't get all the DB combinations? Right. Because yeah. there's that initial restriction on, okay, the RNG has to be between 0 and 25, or it's just not going to generate an encounter. And then the RNG is always determined by a hard time offset between these two rolls. It's going to be the exact same amount of time every time you do those two rolls. So it's deterministic, and that causes a restriction on the possible EVs. Can you get all 15s? Not in wild uh, encounter slots. Now, this is not entirely true, because... Uh, Pokemon you get that are not generated by wild encounters don't have that uh, check for, um, what do you call it, uh, if you're going to get an encounter. So, like, for, for example, Mewtwo. You press A, Mewtwo spawns. So there's no restriction on the initial RNG state. Yeah, I vaguely remember, like, shiny hunting being easier with those. Yes. Yeah. Now, of course, Gen 1 doesn't have shinies, yeah. And yeah. none of the none of the Gen two uh, DV combinations for shinies are possible in Gen one. What? Yeah, I thought that people were like catching Gen ones and transferring them up and having shinies. See, th- that is that's a thing that's commonly thought of as possible, but is not actually possible. You could do it with like Mewtwo, though, couldn't you? Yes. Uh, so like Squirtle, Charmander, Bulbasaur. You can do because there's no restrictions on the DVs, and then same with Mewtwo. I guess that's where it comes from. That's a massive coincidence, though. Yes. <laughs> and if you had like Sweet Scent or something, then you would be able to get all the DV combinations, wouldn't you? Potentially, and I think yeah. stuff cha- stuff changes in Gen two too, so mm. it gets quite complicated. Okay, so we're talking about the bot to manipulate RNG. I'll get back into RNG manipulation again. But so does this bot differ from the one that Mr. Wint used in Co-op Diploma? Yes. Mr. Wint's bot setup is um, not very easy to follow uh, code-wise. I mean, it's extremely powerful and I want to use it, but I would probably need to like fly out to where Mr. Wint lives and, and like, just, like, brain meld with him for several days <laughs> to figure out how he uses it because it's it's in, like, a foreign language to me. Mm. Okay. For, from what I understand, he basically fed that the route and then it did the task for him. That's basically what I understand from it. Yes, we, we want to do the same thing with Blue Glitchless, but I don't know how his bot works. So, I mean, if he wants to get in Discord and talk to me, I'm more than happy to use his bot for Blue Glitchless. But uh, I don't know how to use it right now. Fair enough. And would his bot be doing all the stuff, like the really technical stuff, like the text box speeding up on the CPU cycle things that you were doing? No. Uh, and that's some stuff I would have to like ask him about to see if we can incorporate it. Okay. And what does using your current bot look like? Like, what do you input into it and what does it actually do? It's a Java program. We feed it the current state of the task up through a certain point 
So, uh, for instance, here we, we uh, spin it up to the point where we're walking towards Route 22 to get to the Nidoran. Basically put it as like the furthest back we possibly can without potentially running into NPCs or other weird obstacles that the bot might get confused about. And then we hit run and it it traces the fastest path to a goal. So we specify the goal as like the corner grass tile in the Route 22 grass. And then we let it run and it makes variations on that path. And it just spews out every variation it could think of. Okay. And it essentially brute forces them. Yeah. It, it's called A-star, technically, is what it is. It's an A-star node search. It's a, a pathing algorithm. And it tries to prune out paths that would be too similar and cause the same RNG states. But there's even more pruning we can do to make it more efficient. So it, it doesn't prune everything it can prune. But it, the basic gist is that it spews out a bunch of different paths that are expected to be very different and generate different RNG. And then we that happens to find, usually after a few days of spewing out things, what we're looking for. It doesn't seem like there would be enough uh, different paths to take a few days to do. That seems really weird to me. Yeah, we generate different states a few different ways. So there's like walking different directions away from the path and A presses are a big one. So A presses take only two frames of delay. So if, if for instance, I say, okay, I'm going to be really open up about this one. Let's say we give two seconds. The bot has two seconds of delay to use whatever it wants to. Well, that's like 60 A presses. So it can choose all sorts of places to place those. And will the bot try all the zero frame delay paths, then all the one frame delay, then two, then three, then four? It's it's not that smart because, like I was saying, it tries to generate very different states. So it actually will it'll do the zero path and all the all the possible zero paths, but then it will quickly move on to like okay, uh, all of the thirty frame ones with A presses in these spots, and then all the 90 frame ones with walks in these spots and a presses in these spots and it just keeps trying to generate very different things so it isn't very like and, and that's like that's not so much a problem with the way the bot is designed it's a problem with the a star algorithm as a search algorithm okay and i think you've probably answered this question um subtly before but you said the up like if if you're walking up, say, then every seventeen frames you have to have an up input. Do your up inputs in between those seventeen frames matter or no? No. Um it does this uh check basically on on a loop. It, it's like a it's called the overworld input loop or something like that. And that uh will only happen again in seventeen frames if you've pressed a button previously. So if I, get, if I press left, then I'm not going to get another overworld input loop for 17 frames. But if I don't press left, and this is why the bot needed to be reworked a bit, if you don't press left, it'll only be two frames for it to accept another left input, which you can't really use in RTA because who's going to try to time, okay, I'm waiting exactly four frames and then pressing left again. <laughs> no, yeah. that's not happening. 
So if you like go 17 frames, wait one more, then press left again, that changes RNG as well? Yep, yep. So like, it'd be like a 19 frame we're thinking of. Like a wait 17, then wait two frames, and then start moving. And is that the same RNG that you would get as if you pressed the A button, which causes you to delay two frames? No, because oh. it'll execute different code, right? So um, the RNG is determined like very, very exactly off of a CPU cycle counter. So if you if you execute different code, you'll get a different number of cycles it takes to execute that code, and therefore different RNG. Hmm. So it's actually it, it's it's like vaguely possible that an A press would do the same thing as waiting for two frames, but it'll often also do something different potentially. Okay, and what does like left plus right or up plus down do in this game? Nothing. It's like that's not usually a consideration. Yeah. It doesn't like break anything or do anything special. Does the character pick a direction and walk in it or just not move? Yeah, I think that's like prioritized based on previous directions, but I can't remember exactly what happens. Ah, uh, yeah. I vaguely remember something like that playing this game on emulator. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of battle RNG, suppose you want to land a crit or something, how do you go about manipulating that? It's uh, more delays, but one of the things I talk about a lot, and very, it's very important for battle RNG, is print letter delay. So that's where we press buttons as text is printing, and it affects the amount of cycles it takes to print the text, because thanks, Pokemon. I mean, <laughs> I, I will fully admit, I do not understand why that does anything. It's weird that it's searching for the... Uh, I guess it's searching because it wants to speed it up if you're holding A, doesn't it? Yeah, it's something like that, because if the text speed were to be medium, then that would change something. But the text speed is fast, so... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's poor programming causing, like, absurdly weird quirks, right? So if we... Now, there's two kinds of print letter delay. There's print letter delay that causes a full frame of delay, and there's print letter delay that only causes a uh, difference in the carry flag, which is a, like cpu behavior and so that'll change the rng by exactly one so if we were like getting a 254 and now we'll get a 255 or a 253 or a 255 now we'll get a zero or a 254 because everything's eight bit art math it'll roll over to zero so you can actually generate two different kinds of rng changes with print letter delay so it's very powerful it's an extremely powerful manipulation hmm. and um like, if the text has gone by and you're in the battle menu between, like, fight and item and whatever, you can just, like, move around in there? That would change RNG, too? Um, I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. So, are you talking about, like, switching, like, I'm on Pokeball, now I switch to the next item and then go back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, you could do that, but it would delay more than you would normally want to. Because it's, like, seven frames of delay per changing item or... Um, move in battle and most of the things I find for RNG are only a single frame of delay if that so a, a great example um, would be let's say I wanted to get a critical hit at the beginning of a battle the first thing I do won't actually be to use print letter delay I'll take a bunch of different walk paths to get to the battle and then one of those walk paths will theoretically have a different number of cycles to execute that path and give me a critical hit 
it's very impressive that you can do it without losing really much time. I'm imagining in my head the Ruby Taz with the Taylor and Swellow, and like that would just cycle around on the menus really fast. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's about RNG. What about so? I mean, for people who have watched the commentary video, you console verified this. How did you go about that? I wouldn't even know how to start approaching something like that. It's it's all extremes. I'll just I'll, I'll throw that out there quick. Extremes is the man. So extremes built Game Boy interface. It's a replacement homebrew software that plays the Game Boy Player. So. The Game Boy Player is a hardware from Nintendo. It's an official hardware, and it straps to the GameCube, again, official hardware. So the whole hardware pipeline is official. It's just uh, strapping into the high-speed port on the bottom of the GameCube. And then you can plug your yellow cartridge into the Game Boy Player, and if you use the official disc, it'll just play Pokemon Yellow like you would normally. But what Extremes can do is... It'll basically do exactly what the Game Boy Player disc would do, except instead of sending inputs from the controller, he can take inputs from a movie file and uh, inject those towards the Game Boy Player along the same path over the high-speed port that the official disc would for real inputs. So is it like sitting on top of the Game Boy Player rather than the GameCube, or is it plugging into the GameCube? Um, there's no hardware at all involved in the taskbot for this. Wow. It, it looks really weird. It's like, it's literally just like my GameCube. I could take all the controller ports off. The, the only hardware is the input script sits on an SD card plugged into the memory card port. So I, uh, start up Swiss. I'll just like walk through my process. I start up Swiss. That's a homebrew launcher. I use that to turn on Game Boy Interface, so a program running on the GameCube, and then it takes the inputs it sees on the SD card and injects them into the high-speed port as if they were real inputs. And it times them, if I understand extremes correctly, based off of the, what the clock that is used for the GameCube's audio chip. Oh. Yeah, that's a very good approach. Um, do you ever have issues with, like desyncs if the emulator is inaccurate i would i would except that we we made gambate perfect for this so if you're playing red blue or yellow you will never desync and i am quite confident now saying never because i executed something on the order of uh, uh 45 to 50 billion cycles in the emulator without causing a desync now so I'm pretty sure the emulator's perfect for Pokemon. Now, if I were to want to do anything else perfectly, I would have to do some more coding because Gabate is only cycle perfect for Pokemon. There's a different emulator called Same Boy that we verified is cycle accurate for everything that we've ever seen in any game because uh, the programmer Lior works with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gekio, and they have a test suite called Munai GB that basically has recorded every behavior that has ever been observed in any game that could cause different CPU behavior. And 
they run the same boy emulator against that test suite to make sure it's perfectly accurate. That's really impressive. I'm glad they're getting that accurate now. So why wouldn't you use same boy for Pokemon? Because the emulator devs for BizHawk don't want to incorporate it because I don't know why. Okay. Maybe they will eventually. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those things that's like on the to-do list. It's... I think there's there's like some politics potentially because um, there's a guy Alyosha who's actually a very very cool. He worked with me to get GB Hawk his emulator, which is in uh, BizHawk, to be cycle accurate for Pokemon as well. So I believe I could use GB Hawk to do the same tasking I did in Gambate for Blue and Yellow, and make it console verified properly. But GB Hawk theoretically could be made to be as accurate as same boy and so there's some politics and whether oh do we use this poke this emulator we developed specifically for uh for bizhawk called gb hawk or do we just port over same boy again and lose everything we did in building gb hawk yeah it's difficult but i don't know you could always make the option between the two <laughs> exactly so I, I think it would be great to have all three options and the pokemon speedrunning community they like gumbate as well don't they Yes. The Pokemon speedrunning community, um, DeBombStew has basically written his own version of Gabate in coordination with Enterprinter and uh, GifVex. And they were instrumental in... Uh, another great backstory here. When I first did the Pokemon yellow glitchless task, it did not work for all 11 billion cycles. It broke around like cycle 5 billion um which is absurd for one like the concept that the emulator would be perfect for five billion operations and then <laughs> fail is completely beyond any imagination mm. but then it's it, but it did and we had to figure out why and so my work in combination with gifx mainly gifx's investigation uh we were able to develop a new test program like i was talking about that they have for moon eye and uh same boy we built them a new test so that we could fix that behavior in Gabate and make sure other people in the emulator development community had the same access to fix it. Very good. Yeah, GB emulation is very impressive. I wish all consoles emulated that well, but maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, it gets a benefit from being like as simple as it is that we can just write a, a few hundred tests and have every behavior possible emulated accurately. And the Pokemon community, I've noticed, um, compared to a lot of others, seems to have a lot of really technical people in it. So the skills there, definitely. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. There is so Debomstu De um, now manages a emulator called Gabate Speedrun, which incorporates all these finds, and uh, it's it's basically the perfect emulator for Pokemon because we've developed it to be cycle accurate for Gen One and Two Pokemon. I guess another thing is, like, because so many people want to run at RTA, but capturing a Game Boy is not easy, so it makes sense that you would want really good emulators. Mm -hmm. And the, the systems are getting very old and temperamental. Now, the GameCube and Game Boy Player setup is extremely resilient, so I don't imagine you'll have too much problems anytime soon. But it's still really nice to have that option for, for when things do get too old that we don't need to lose anything by going to emulator. Yeah. 
that's so weird to think about Game Boy getting old, but <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Um, cool. So yeah, moving back onto the, I guess the blue run. We talked a lot about RNG manipulation. I guess overall routing. But did you manage to save any time in the nitty-gritty movement? Is there much movement tech, or does it all come down to routing and RNG manipulation and stuff? I, I wish I could tell you that the answer is yes, but the, the movement tech is actually almost completely identical between red, blue, and yellow. The only real difference in movement that I can think of off the top of my head is something that well, okay, there's two different... I, I, good good question, because now that you say it, I'm thinking of things. But the in RTA, at least, there's two major differences. The forest has different tiles that can give you encounters in red-blue. So um, if you take a specific walk path through the forest, you don't even need to manipulate it. You just won't get encounters. Because these uh, certain um, grass tiles have flowers in a certain corner and the game actually only uses that corner tile to check whether or not there's going to be an encounter and it doesn't see grass it sees a flower it says there's not gonna be an encounter hmm. yeah i remember when that was found <laughs> yeah that shen does a better job of explaining it than i do but he he mentions that at one of the old jdq runs and it's hilarious but yellow that's not a thing so you have to actually manipulate the forest in rta the second thing I can think of off the mind for movement tech is we were talking about going behind oak. In blue, you don't actually need to go behind oak. You only need to go to the left of oak. You have to go all the way behind oak in yellow because Pikachu is also in the way if you're only to the left of oak. So mm. if you go all the way behind oak, Pikachu will be all the way at the top of the screen and not be in Gary's way. Did you go to the left or behind in blue? The recent test, I can't remember. I want to say I went to the left. But it wouldn't matter. If I'm like 99% sure it's the exact same number of frames. When is is it? It's when you f get the Pokedex, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like you went to the left. Which is good. I like going to the left because going behind always feels so janky, even though I know it's faster. It just feels wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I like having like as many variations highlighted between the two runs. Hmm. Um, and it... In between, like, red and blue, I remember in the co-op deployment as they were saying, like, the title screen was faster on red or something. Are there many differences like that? We think that over the course of the run, because these weird cycle things are so important, that there's fewer cycles executed on blue. But I would actually have to do entire tasks of both. And it's so similar that it's, it's not really a significant problem. I think it's just kind of historically that people use blue for tassing. Mm. Yeah, and I think your explanation was pretty good that even though blue didn't make sense from an RTA perspective, like he had this really weird luck occurrence that made it faster this time or something. Yeah. I, I tried to manipulate a Nidoran in red and blue, and it just happened to work better in blue, even though in like on paper, it's way easier to find that Nidoran in red. Mm-hmm. Compared to your Pokemon Yellow Taz, like, I mean, I know the games are pretty different in terms of who you start with, but are there any really main major differences in the overall route, like, once you get Nidoran? 
once you get Nidoran, so there's like the Brock fight's very different because you have Squirtle for one in, in blue and Pikachu was useless for Brock. The other main thing that's different, I would say, is the way we manage Red Bar in the mid game because it's so much more important in blue. And we have this uh, really cool strategy in blue with Sabrina's Alakazam where we thrash Sabrina and then we get Alakazam because it's faster than us. It can use Psywave before we have a chance to thrash. And the Psywave will hit us to one. And then that one HP gets us the exact amount of damage we need to maintain Red Bar all the way from Sabrina to the champion. We don't need to take a damage ever for all those battles. Yellow, it's completely different. Yellow's actually a mess compared to that because... Not only can we not do that, we actually like have to take damage from some other Pokemon because I think, for instance, the Agatha's Gengar needs to attack us in some way. All of its moves are attacking, so we just take like Lick because it's the fastest thing that can happen, if I remember correctly. Okay, and I vaguely remember you saying that with your knowledge now from Red and Blue, you could save more time in the LA Glitchless test. What kind of things could you do to save time? Yeah, so we've got some things lined up for yellow glitchless. I don't think it's that it's it's actually more things we learned tassing um yellow NSC because we were looking at frames very closely doing yellow NSC because it's a shorter run. It's only nine minutes and forty seven seconds. So we were really, really, really optimizing the heck out of that one. Mm. We found if you select a default rival name, then the transition and like the screen wipe, the animation that happens before Oak catches Pikachu is different than the screen wipe you get if you pick a custom name. And it, tur- it turns out that this is because the animation is based on the level of you and your opponent's Pokemon when you go into a battle, right? So, like, it does a more dramatic animation if your Pokemon's lower level than your opponent's. Mm. I think that's the concept. But when Oak goes to catch Pikachu, you don't have a Pokemon yet. So it goes to, like, check memory for uh, current Pokemon-owned HP and level, and it hits junk data because you don't have a Pokemon yet. And the junk data just happens to be the stuff left over from when we were setting up the rival name. So even if you... What's the default rival name? Like, Blue or something. Even if you called him Blue, it wouldn't do that. Like, even if you wrote Blue in the custom name. It No, it's not... It's, yeah, because it's, it's actually... It doesn't have anything to do with the, the specific characters being written. It's It has to do with, like, the way the characters are being selected and, and how that's being put in RAM. So it's pulling up the custom name menu that does it. It, it's not even that. It's it's like, it's really difficult to describe because there's so much going on code-wise on like a bit level. But selecting a default name will never affect this art, the region of RAM. So its default state will be there still. And then if you choose a custom name and use one character, it'll be a certain way that will cause you to have the bad screen wipe. But then also, if you select a custom name write five characters into it, and delete five characters, you will also 
have the better screen wipe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm surprised that doesn't cause like a crash if it gets an invalid screen wipe or something. Yeah, because it's it's not gonna be an invalid screen wipe. It's only like re- it's reading data it's not supposed to be, and then comparing that level, which is like a junk number, probably some massive number, to the level of Pikachu. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense then. Yeah, so do you reckon you'll be doing a new yellow glitch list test eventually, or do you have any other projects after this blue test? Yeah, um, there's there's one project I've talked about right now that I want to get started. And that's looking at crystal glitchless because there's an existing gold glitchless task and it's ancient. I think it's from 2007 or 2000, like I was saying with the blue J- Japanese task. There's these ancient glitchless tasks and it uses like Geodude and nobody knows why anymore. Okay, we're pretty sure Totodile is faster than going around to catch a Geodude. So. We want to redo Crystal Glitchless because with Crystal you can get Entei easier than in Gold. And so you can do a Totodile into Entei route. Oh yeah. And you wouldn't need to even like get the Master Ball, would you? No. Ideally we would just catch Entei. Yeah, I really like the Entei route. It's actually, um, I think they use use Raikou now for um, RTA. Do they do that on Gen two? I thought it, I thought it was the remakes, but I haven't seen them in a while. They they use it in Gen two Raikou. It's more consistent to use Raikou than Entei in RTA. Hmm. Yeah, so looking at Gen two as well. What about so you're really really close to sub one thirty on the Pokemon Blue test? Do you think you'll come back and try and get it? Now I see. I saw you. You had something of this. We we probably will because I I know where I could save the three seconds so I'll, I'll go back and fix that at some point I'm not I'm not sure when I'll fix that but I'll I'll fix it but the task is actually already sub one thirty because if you count the length of it by cycles or if you time it on the console when I play it back on console it's a one twenty nine fifty three it's only one thirty oh three if you count the frame count so when they publish it. On Taz videos, do you reckon they'll change the time to one twenty nine? What fifty three was it? Yeah, uh, Fios mentioned that they'll probably do that. They just have to confirm independently that, that it's that's what's happening. Okay, that's good. I mean, I've had like a few situations like that where it's not sixty FPS; it's fifty nine point something FPS. So, I'm not sure if it's a similar thing, but it's it's a completely different thing. <laughs> it's mm. a complete mess. The Game Boy. Um, Yes, it's a weird frame rate. It's 59.7275 FPS. But even if you use that number, I think it's like maybe 7276 something. Even if you use that exact number and multiply it by the frame count, you don't get the right number because there's another thing going on. Um, When you change maps, for instance, in Pokemon going from a building to the overworld, the screen goes black. And that's because it's shutting off the screen. And when the Game Boy shuts off the screen, the concept of a frame that no longer exists. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> it's, it's just waiting for it to turn the screen back on. And that can be any number of cycles. So the emulator says there were three frames passed. But, it, but that's completely nonsense, according to the actual way the Game Boy works. It's just saying three frames because that's the approximate number of cycles. 
before the the uh, game woke the screen back up. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess you do have sub one thirty then. <laughs> Indeed. Cool. And then anything else you want to talk about with these with the blue test? So like I was talking a little about improvements. Uh, one of the major things we need to fix with it is I I didn't have a great PP route for it yet because I was basing a lot of it off of the Japanese task that doesn't do the or that it does the underground and we're not doing the underground. So I hadn't fixed all the the differences yet with that. So there's actually two things I need to fix. I need to I need to fix a thing in the Koga fight because I use two thunderbolts to kill a coughing. And what I should do is I should drill it and then I should on the uh, wheezing I should gen one miss the wheezing and have the wheezing gen one miss me with self-destruct. Okay. How much time do you reckon that would save? It would save around the three or four seconds. It would save half a turn. Because right now we already only have one half turn on wheezing. So we would lose a half a turn on wheezing, giving my half turn attacking it, and then it's half turn attacking me. But on the flip side, we would cut a whole turn out of the coughing fight. So we would save a half turn overall. So that would get us right around the 130 mark. And I think I could cut a few extra frames if I fix something because um, I was working with different move orders in the battle menu. Uh, Thunderbolt and then Thrash and then Leer and then Bowl Beam versus Thrash, Thunderbolt, Leer, Bowl Beam. And it turns out that the length of the name Thunderbolt in slot 1 makes the menu laggy. And we don't know why. Like, just more complete shenanigans from Pokemon, right? Oh, dear. <laughs> I have to go back and re-rewrite re- it to use Thrash in slot 1 again. Because even though it's, like, a few inputs slower, it's overall going to make the menus a lot faster again. Hmm. And when you're making this, do you know, like, exactly what the route is going to be like before you start? Or do you see what happens? You You have to. Like, you, you have to route everything exactly, because if you don't, then you have to go back and rewrite everything, like I was saying with the RNG. So, I have to basically get the route as good as I can possibly get it, and that's part of why, like, okay, I was talking about, we're waiting all this time fixing the bot. I also was waiting time doing the routing, because I needed the route to be near perfect, going into it and once you've got the route perfect how long would it take you to make one of these tests the first one takes about a month because you have to script a lot of random dumb stuff like all the text boxes that are just like okay binary search binary search okay found that one binary search binary search found that one binary search binary search found that one and do that do that like ten thousand times and then you've got all the text boxes and you never have to do them again but you do have to go back and redo uh, RNG. So, like, if I wanted to go redo blue right now and fix the things that I'm talking about, it would take me, like, a week. Okay. And with the uh, print delay on the text box, is that always in a consistent spot, or do you basically just have to brute force it? You, you have to redo the brute force search for those, but it's, for like, it's really rare. You have to search a lot because a lot of things are very simple to find, like... Most of the manipulations are just like, okay, I need to hit horn drill, it's a 1 in 5. 
you add print letter delay. If you, if you do like two variations of print letter delay, you already have a more than 50% chance of having found a, a hit. Because one in five, it's, it's four in five to the number of iterations you try, right? So I think three of those. Yeah. Do you know if you could do any shenanigans with subframe inputs? I don't think so, because I think the way that Pokemon, like, by default, looks for inputs is once per frame. Mm -hmm. But, like, with Mr. Wint's um, Yellow Ace movie, that's subframe inputs. That's writing a code, an arbitrary code execution, to then bootstrap the ability to look at subframe inputs. So out of the box, no, I don't think there's any utility in subframe inputs. Hmm. So, yeah, do you have any, first of all, anything else you want to talk about with blue testing or Pokemon testing in general? Not with blue. There's something very specific I wanted to mention with the yellow glitchless test. Now that you, you got me on that tangent a little bit. Yeah. So I was talking about improvements in the early game, fixing this thing. with the We could write a little bit of data into the rival name and then get a different uh, animation for Pikachu. We fixed that in NSC, haven't fixed it in glitchless yet because... If we fix it in glitchless, then we have to write the entire run over. Now, there's a second thing at the beginning of the game that makes me really want to redo yellow glitchless again. Because it turns out that contrary to expectation, having the animations on is faster for the first battle. What? <laughs> Why is that? Okay, the tackle animation is slightly slightly faster with animations on than the default animation and the only animation in the battle is tackle oh my goodness <laughs> yeah. do you know how much faster it is uh a handful of frames like a, a, a couple of frames okay so between like the 10 frames we can save doing that the 30 frames i would save by or it's, it's like 20 frames. We would say if I move the fast options from before the game starts to in-game, like I did in NFC, and then do that thing by pushing it back even further to after the rival battle, so we still have the animations on during the rival battle, we would save like almost a second. And it would look completely different. That'd be another really interesting thing to comment on. Uh, with... With the text options, how you have like your fast text, is that a different speed than if you're holding A to speed it up or B or whatever it is? Yeah, uh, it's the same speed, but we need fast on to do print letter delay manipulation. So there's there's a necessity to go into the options at the beginning of any run and set all those options, even though you could theoretically never turn fast on. Yeah, because I always found that kind of weird in Tazis that they would do that, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh. And yep, anything else with Pokemon testing? Anything else with Pokemon testing? <laughs> Very broad question, I know. I went through a lot of stuff. Yeah, so the, the three big ones right now are Yellow Glitchless, Blue Glitchless, and Yellow NSC. GIFX also did Blue NSC, so we really have all four of the main categories that people running RTA have been tasked fully. And so are there any other Tazas that you'd recommend people have a look at, uh, like outside the series? <laughs> Great question. Um, I 
I did a GDQX showing of the NSC tasks. If you'll go back and just watch that whole block, that is a great example of the different kinds of speedrunning you can get right now. Because you have Super Mario 64, a 3D platformer. You have, excuse me, Super Mario, uh, I want to say, it's got to be two or three on the NES. But it's a ROM hack. So this is a, maybe it's a SNES, Super Mario World ROM hack. Will that make sense? Mm, yeah. So you have a 2D platformer, a 3D platformer. You have Pokemon, which is an RPG with lots of RNG manipulation instead of movement tech. And then you have a shoot 'em up, which works for about two minutes, but then it breaks because Hourglass did weird things to my laptop sleep settings. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. But overall, that block, I think, is a great showing of like the different kinds of tasking available. Yeah, fantastic. And what SM64 run was shown there? I think it's Zero Star. Okay. Because I remember seeing it like ESA Plush was showing the work on 120 Star. I was wondering cool. if it was that. But yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the 120 Star one is a great one. Hmm. Yeah, it's one that I'm really looking forward to. Zero Star is amazing, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. And I know people will want to know this. What's your favorite Pokemon generation? Oh, Pokemon. Okay, I have to go. <laughs> I have to go with Gen 3 because I played Ruby so much. But it's, it yeah, like, it's really close between Yellow and uh, Sapphire. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Gen 3 gets a bit of flack, so I'm glad to hear that. I don't know why it would. Like, Gen Sapphire has, like, no glitches. We like they they reverse engineered almost all of Sapphire and have not found a useful glitch. Hmm. So as much as the Pokemon games get flagged for glitches, Sapphire is very well coded compared to some of the others. Yeah, true. I think yeah, people didn't like it as much casually as the first two gens as well. I think maybe they didn't sell as well. I don't know, but I liked them, especially like Fire Red. That was good fun. Hmm. Yeah, the remakes are great, and th- those also have like no useful glitches. And Emerald has some useful glitches, but on the flip side, it has a ton more content. So Emerald gets a, some a good pass from me there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Gen three and above because, like, I f- I refuse to believe that there's no glitches in them, but like, I just want to see what they find eventually. Yeah, we have like a load line manipulation in Gen Four for uh, the what? What do you call it? Um, when when they go into the like the black space, I can't remember what it's called, but they they like manipulate the fact that the game loads maps on certain lines and just like constantly jump over the line repeatedly until the map breaks. Ah, uh, yeah, the tweaking glitch in Gen Four. Tweaking. Yeah. Yes, that's what they call it. Yeah, I remember doing that, like, near when it came out. <laughs> but yeah, the, they're not going to be tasked heavily, I think, like, ever, because of exactly what you were talking about with Ruby, where uh, the later games have these RNG tables, uh, and the, the looked-up table has to be manipulated by intense amounts of delay, because if it doesn't exist in the lookup table, it doesn't exist in the lookup table. The only thing you can do is delay until you find the next point in the lookup table where those 
RNG values that Ah, uh, I remember there being that program. I forget what it was called, but like in Emerald and you'd have that big, big, big list of DVs and you could use it to find shinies along with mm-hmm. Eon Timer, I remember using. Yeah. I-, I see what you mean though. Like the only thing you could do is delay to get different DVs or IVs, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the later gens use it for battles and the battles move the RNG really slowly. So like contrary to every other game. So... Like, Gen 5 tasks are really annoying, from what I've heard. Yeah. Well, you never know. Maybe we'll see, like, some low tads or something. Who knows? But, yeah, I think, yeah, that's probably it for today, unless you had anything else to say. Uh, the last thing to talk about is I just republished the tasks that I've done uncommentated on YouTube in 4K 60fps. So... If you have the equipment to watch that, I highly recommend checking out the Tycoon 83 Speedruns YouTube channel. Mm, fantastic. And I'll link that in the description. Uh, where else can we find you? Like Twitter and Twitch as well? Yep, I'm on Twitch, Tycoon 83, T-I, Kevin 83. Same on Twitter. And yeah, I have a Discord you can find at my Twitch too. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been very interesting. <laughs> like i always knew vaguely about these runs but not really much in depth so it's been great to hear all about that awesome anytime dave at least <laughs> no worries thank you very much and thanks everyone for listening